Hi everyone, I'm Ben Norton and this is Geopolitical Economy Report. A topic that I discuss here a lot is de-dollarization. We've seen a trend around the world, especially in the global south, of countries moving toward using other currencies for international trade and holding other currencies in their foreign exchange reserves, not the US dollar. And this is a progressive trend we see growing over time. However, History does not move in straight lines, history zigzags, and there are some countries, believe it or not, that are actually considering dollarizing, or that is there are some political forces that tend to be in the right wing of the spectrum that are advocating for using more of the US dollar in their international trade and their foreign exchange reserves. And there are some political forces in Latin America that are openly calling for the country to abandon its monetary sovereignty and adopt the US dollar as their official currency. An example of this that I'll be analyzing today is Argentina. This is the South American country that has the third largest economy in Latin America after Brazil and Mexico. However, Argentina is suffering from a lot of economic difficulties, especially with odious debt. That is debt that it cannot pay off, that is owed largely to Western vulture funds, to billionaire oligarchs and asset management companies like BlackRock in the United States. And the biggest holder of Argentina's debt is the International Monetary Fund, the IMF, which is an organization that is dominated by the United States. Only Washington has veto power in the IMF. Now, Argentina suffers from very high levels of inflation. They're up in the triple digits at this point, and this has caused a lot of economic and political instability in the country. I will explain later why there is so much inflation and ways in which the government has tried to deal with this problem. However, this has become a major issue as national elections come up in the country in October. And one of the leading presidential hopefuls is a far-right candidate named Javier Milei. And he basically combines libertarian politics with fascistic far-right politics. He has pledged that he's going to privatize all state assets, privatize education, privatize healthcare, cut social spending programs to help poor and working people, things like unemployment, cut pensions, privatize everything, sell off state institutions, and at the same time, he wants to build private prisons. He wants to give police even more power with an authoritarian police state in order to imprison what he calls criminals, which are often people on the left. And he also furthermore said very clearly that he wants to implement a very conservative cultural agenda. So while he uses libertarian rhetoric, he's calling for numerous measures that would give the state more authority over women's bodies. And specifically, he wants to make abortion illegal. He also wants schools to stop teaching sex ed to youth. So he's combining elements of libertarian economics with fascistic kind of militarization of the country. He has said that during the period of transition that the country is going to be extremely militarized. He said that openly. So basically, he's like Pinochet, the fascist neoliberal dictator of Chile that was installed through a US-backed coup in 1973. Basically, 
Javier Milei is very similar in Argentina. He's calling for this very extreme far-right agenda with ultra-neoliberal economics. And a key part of his political program is he wants Argentina to drop its currency, to abandon its monetary sovereignty, and to adopt the U.S. dollar as its official currency. Now, in order to understand Milay and the right wing in Argentina, you have to understand that across Latin America, the right wing is very pro-Washington. They love the United States. They want to model everything they do off of the United States. So while there is de-dollarization growing across Latin America, it's being led by the left. Brazil's left-wing president of the Workers' Party, Lula da Silva, is calling for ending Brazil's dependence on the U.S. dollar and creating a new currency for trade in Latin America. Also, the socialist former president of Ecuador, Rafael Correa, he did create a new currency for Latin American trade called the Sucre, which was part of the Bolivarian Alliance, along with Venezuela, whose revolutionary president, Hugo Chavez, was also involved in creating this currency the Sucre for Latin America. And there are many other left-wing leaders across the region that are calling for ending their region's dependence on the US dollar and the system of economic neo-colonialism that Washington has imposed on the region. However, in Argentina, the right wing is calling for the exact opposite. They want to use the US dollar as their official currency and this is exactly what Javier Milei has proposed. In fact, Milei said in his campaign platform that he published that his goal is he wants Argentina to go back to being the country it was at the start of 1900. That's not a joke. I'm not kidding. He said his goal is to, to bring back Argentina 100 years in the past to the year 1900. Now, if you don't know anything about the Latin American right wing or the far right in Argentina, this all might come as a surprise to you. You might think this is crazy and you are right to think this is crazy. In fact, I want to look at a video clip here of the leading development economist, Ha Jun Chang, who also said that this is an insane idea. And he said that if Argentina adopts the U.S. dollar as its currency, it would be neocolonialism because the U.S. government would determine Argentina's macroeconomic policy. Now, before I play this clip, I want to briefly explain who Ha Jun Chang is. He is a development economist from South Korea. And he has shown in many of his books and his research how the majority of wealthy capitalist countries, the imperialist countries, not only got rich by stealing, you know, the, the natural resources of the global south through colonization and through slavery and through war, but also he showed in his brilliant book, Kicking Away the Ladder, Development Strategy in Historical Perspective, how wealthy countries got wealthy by using protectionist trade measures, not by the free market, by using high tariffs and by subsidizing local development so they can grow up their infant industries in their own country. And then finally, when the country, the industries are competitive internationally, then the country can lift some of those tariffs and other restrictions. So ironically, it's actually the 
advanced rich capitalist countries that developed through colonialism and protectionism that lecture the global south telling them to open their markets and lift all capital controls and remove all tariffs and abide by the free market well those were the countries the rich countries that did the exact opposite and now they're telling poor countries to do the opposite of what they did claiming that they're going to get rich and obviously it's not going to work so it's all about trapping these global south countries in cycles of dependency and debt and argentina is a classic example of this so this is a clip of hajun cheng explaining in an interview when he was visiting argentina how it would be absolutely insane and it would be neo-colonialism if argentina adopted this policy of this far-right libertarian candidate javier milay and adopted the U.S. dollar as its official currency. So what do you think? I mean, obviously, these days in Argentina, there's a lot of talk about dollarization, mm -hmm. right? It's like it's the magical solution that is going to solve all of our problems. We just dollarize the economy and that's the end of it. What, what yeah, do you think well, when you hear that? Well, you know, I think uh, if you want to adopt uh, dollar as uh, your official currency, you should apply to become a colony of the United States of America. Yeah? Because uh, that's what it that, uh, makes you. Yeah? Because uh, that, uh, your, that this means that your macroeconomic policies will be written in Washington, D.C. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Now, in a big country like the United States, actually, when the macroeconomic policies are made in Washington, D.C., there will be states uh, elsewhere in the U.S. Uh, that uh, suffer because you know, the, the federal government might be, you know, the tightening the economy because that, that in general there is uh, inflation, but then in some regions that there might already be recession and then they'll uh, be in big trouble. Yeah? Mm -hmm. So in a fed, uh, the single country, that what you do is uh, to you make uh, transfers uh, to these uh, regions uh, suffering from right. yeah, recession. And most importantly, people in those that are uh, uh, regions in the economic recession can move elsewhere yeah. to take up jobs in, you know, the, the areas state. that are doing well, yeah? So, yeah, I mean, the, the fiscal union and labor market integration are the necessary conditions for this, uh, the, the, to make uh, the currency union uh, viable. And the reason why the Eurozone had uh, such crisis was because they didn't do this enough, you know? Right. Labor market is integrated but there's a language barrier and so on so it's not perfect you know there is no fiscal union so they cannot make a transfer to the poor regions so this is why they had such trouble now Argentina unilaterally accepting US dollar as a currency is insane because you don't have a labor market integration you know you don't have a fiscal transfer it's not as if the Americans are going to say oh that you cute guy at Argentina, now you want to use dollar as your currency, we'll accept more immigrants from you, you know, we'll uh, give it's you some money. No. no, this is uh, the, the worst so, idea. Yeah. Now, those points that Ha Jun Cheng raised are absolutely crucial. Obviously, the U.S. government is not going to provide resources to help give an economic stimulus to Argentina's economy. Argentina can't print U.S. dollars. Only the United States can print dollars. And it does a lot, by the way, to, to give it to rich people to inflate the big asset bubble that we've seen over 14 years of quantitative easing. Argentina can't do that. So, for instance, 
If Argentina is going through a recession or even a depression, the Argentine central bank, if it adopts the US dollar, can't simply print more currency to provide a stimulus to people. This is basic economics 101. It's what the famous economist John Maynard Keynes showed in response to the Great Depression. In moments of recession or depression, the government needs to provide an economic stimulus. Otherwise, the economy could be caught in a spiral that, that will cause the depression to get even worse because as people lose jobs, then the overall demand in the economy, the aggregate demand decreases and people spend less money on small businesses and restaurants. So the small businesses and restaurants go out of business and they lay off their workers. So there's a spiral and more and more people lose their jobs. They have less money. The government has less tax revenue. So government revenue shrinks. And there's this spiral, a self-reinforcing feedback loop if the government keeps imposing austerity measures. This is exactly what happened following the 2008 financial crash in countries like Greece or Italy, where the European Union, which was designed by right-wing neoliberal economists, forced the countries to impose austerity measures, which meant that they were trying to decrease government spending, cutting wages, cutting social programs like healthcare and education, privatizing state assets. And what happened in countries like Italy is yes, their debt went down, but their GDP shrank. So actually, while their debt went down, their debt as a percentage of GDP increased, making it even more difficult to pay off their debt. So if you don't have monetary sovereignty, how are you supposed to prevent crises like these from continuing. Argentina is a country that has suffered from recession. So if Argentina were to abandon its monetary sovereignty and adopt a foreign currency as its domestic currency that it has no control over, it would be an economically suicidal policy. However, the reason that these right-wing libertarians are promoting this idea is because they know that it would permanently trap the country in a neoliberal straitjacket. The government could never implement a left-wing social democratic, yet alone socialist program of providing social support for people through healthcare and education and state-owned companies and support for employment and you know all of these programs that you expect the government to provide to help people. No, they want the dollar to be adopted as the currency in order to prevent the government in the future from being ever being able to implement a program like that. That's why right-wing libertarian economists in the United States, like Steve Hanke, are openly calling for Argentina to dollarize and are supporting this fascistic far-right presidential candidate, Javier Milei. Steve Hanke worked for the White House under Ronald Reagan, the godfather of neoliberalism. He's also a professor of economics at Johns Hopkins University. And this May, he tweeted that in Argentina, quote, it's time to dump the pathetic peso and dollarize now. By the way, in case you don't know who this guy is, Steve Hanke is someone who is openly, publicly admired the fascist former dictator of Chile, Augusto Pinochet. In 1988, he published an article in the New York Times titled, how the media slight Pinochet. And he complained that there was supposedly bias against Chile's fascist dictator who had been installed 15 years before in a CIA coup. And Hanke, this libertarian right-wing economist, wrote in the New York Times, quote, in fact, hard though this may be for liberal critics to accept, 
General Pinochet and the military regime have moved dramatically to expand economic liberty and are moving Chile on schedule under the constitution toward a full democracy. This was, of course, the fascist dictator in Chile who murdered and tortured and disappeared tens of thousands of leftist dissidents who threw union organizers and socialists out of helicopters who tortured people. In fact, under Pinochet's fascist regime in Chile, former Nazi war criminals who were part of Adolf Hitler's Third Reich, they fled to Chile and they were given government support in programs to create penal colonies, to create prisons where they abused people, including children, by the way, notoriously. There were Nazi war criminals who sexually abused children and they were supported by the fascist Pinochet regime, supported strongly by the United States as well. And here we see libertarian economists who love to talk about the free market and freedom and liberty are praising this fascist dictator in Chile. And now they're calling for a new fascist to come to power in Argentina, Javier Milei, to implement basically the exact same economic program. Now, I should say that what's dangerous about the situation in Argentina is that inflation is genuinely very bad. It's out of control. And just as the hyperinflation that destroyed the Weimar Republic in Germany in the late 1920s, that led to the rise of Nazism and Adolf Hitler in the 1930s. There is a possibility that the inflation in Argentina can give rise to a fascistic far right figure like Javier Milei. Now, I should also point out that in both cases, in Weimar Germany and also in Argentina now, what has caused the hyperinflation is debt that is unpayable and is owed in a foreign currency. Here, I want to briefly explain why Argentina is suffering so much from inflation. In April 2023, the inflation rate was more than 108%. This is genuinely a serious problem that is causing a lot of economic and political instability in Argentina. Now, for people who want to get a deep understanding of this problem, which is not new in Argentina, I would highly recommend checking out an article that my friend Esteban Almiron published over at geopoliticaleconomy.com. He is an Argentine journalist and writer and activist. And in the description below, I have linked to that article. It's titled How Argentina Has Been Trapped in Neocolonial Debt for 200 Years in Economic History. That article is pretty long. So here I'll give you the explanation in a nutshell. We should understand that Argentina is a country that is very heavily reliant on imports of commodities, especially energy like oil, also medicines and also machine parts and technology. This is something that is true across the global south. So other countries that are suffering from very high unpayable rates of debt like Sri Lanka and Pakistan and Ghana are also countries that rely heavily on importing commodities and technologies and capital goods. And they're countries that rely largely economically on exporting commodities. And in the case of Argentina, the majority of its exports consists of agricultural products. Now, if you're a country like Argentina that relies very heavily on exporting soybeans and nuts and beef, those are very low value added primary products. And that means that you have to produce a large amount in order to get very low revenue. It's not like the high value added exports of a country like Germany or China, which is advanced technology with a lot of value added in the production process. So 
Argentina is constantly importing high-value-added products and exporting low-value-added commodities, agricultural goods. So that means that sometimes Argentina has a current account deficit, which means that it's importing much more than it's exporting. And that means that the country has to constantly get access to foreign currency, U.S. dollars largely, to pay for those imports of things like oil and machine parts and technology and medicines. However, Argentina has a problem. It has to export a ton in order to get access to those dollars. But as soon as those dollars enter the country, they pretty much immediately leave because those dollars go to paying off the dollar-denominated debt that Argentina owes to vulture funds like BlackRock and to the International Monetary Fund. So what that means is that the central bank of Argentina has fewer dollars in order to try to stabilize its currency. And the way that central banks usually do this is you can buy your own country's currency in foreign exchange markets. So Argentina's central bank can use the dollars that it has in its reserves to buy the Argentine peso in the foreign exchange markets. And what that does is it increases the value of the peso against the US dollar. And it's a way of trying to stabilize the currency to fight inflation. But you need to have foreign currencies in order to do that. But if all of your dollars go to paying the interest on debt, odious debt owed to vulture funds in the United States, it's very hard to, to stabilize your currency. And furthermore, there is a self-reinforcing feedback loop here, right? There's a, a dangerous death spiral because the more inflation there is in Argentina, the more that foreign investors don't want to buy Argentine debt. This means that the interest rates on debt in the future goes up because it's a very risky investment. So if someone is going to buy Argentine debt, the interest rates are very high. So that means it's even more difficult for Argentina to pay it off in the future. And essentially the debt that Argentina has is unpayable. It cannot be paid. But vulture funds in the United States and in Europe and other parts of the world have insisted that Argentina needs to pay up. And that means that the Argentine government has to cut spending on social programs like healthcare and education and support for poor and working class people in Argentina, all in order to pay billionaire oligarchs in the United States largely who own Argentine debt. Now, unfortunately for Argentina, being trapped in odious debt like this is not in any way new. I mentioned that really for about 200 years, the South American nation has been trapped in these neo-colonial relationships. First, it was with the British Empire, and much of its debt was owed in the British pound sterling. And for the past really 70, 80 years, its debt has largely been den denominated in US dollars. And we saw a shocking example of this kind of neo-colonial relationship in the 2010s when vulture funds in the United States used the U.S. legal system to extort Argentina and force Argentina to pay them billions of dollars in profits. The organization Corp Watch, holding corporations accountable, reported on this back in 2014. They reported on it very well. And they looked at 
a notorious billionaire vulture fund manager named Paul Singer, who is so notorious that he's often referred to simply as the vulture. And he runs a hedge fund. And so he takes a lot of money from other wealthy clients and he invests it often in risky investments like in the sovereign debt of foreign countries in the global south. So Argentina is not the only example. But what happened is that his firm, which is called Elliott Capital Management, paid $40 million to buy $220 million worth of Argentina's debt after the country crashed in 2001 and defaulted on its bonds. And in the next 13 years, the value of those bonds that he paid $49 million for increased to $832 million. That is to say that he made 17 times in profit off of what he originally paid. And he was not the only one. There were other speculators on Wall Street that did the exact same thing. However, Argentina was unable to pay this debt and they demanded that the debt be renegotiated and that the bondholders take a haircut. That is, that they lose some of their profits on this investment that they made that they knew was risky. However, Paul Singer and other billionaires on Wall Street refused to renegotiate. They demanded that they were paid every single penny of the billions of dollars of profits. This is despite the fact that the vast majority of the other bondholders and investors that had bought Argentine debt, they agreed to forgive as much as 70% of Argentina's debt, but not these vulture funds on Wall Street. So what happened? These billionaire oligarchs went to the U.S. justice system. They used U.S. courts to sue Argentina, arguing that the debt was issued under New York laws and the debt was denominated in U.S. dollars. So they extorted Argentina and attacked it using the U.S. justice system. And the U.S. justice system agreed it ruled in their favor and forced Argentina to pay the vulture funds. Argentina's foreign affairs minister at that time, Hector Timerman, explained in an article, he said, quote, we will not reward loan sharks who bought defaulted bonds for next to nothing and have refused a deal that would have represented a clear profit, asking much more, even several times the amount they spent. If Argentina beats Paul Singer and others, the consequences may well be a world where vulture funds actions against developing nations are history. A place free of these scavengers would benefit not only my country, but also other poor countries in Africa and Latin America. Unfortunately, that's not what happened. The U.S. justice system went along with the billionaire oligarchs on Wall Street. And this wasn't the first time, by the way. Paul Singer, the vulture, he also had made millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars by buying up cheap debt from Peru and their Democratic Republic of Congo, two other very poor countries. At the time, a columnist at the Financial Times, Martin Wolf, who ironically had been a right-wing neoliberal, but he later became more of a Keynesian kind of centrist economist, and he published an article titled Defend Argentina from the Vultures. And he pointed out the double standard that when corporations are bankrupt, it's very easy for them to get out of the debt they owe to their creditors. Whereas when a country is trapped in odious debt, 
not only is it basically impossible for that debt to be forgiven, but the U.S. justice system will force that country to pay billionaire oligarchs on Wall Street. It is really neocolonialism. Another way of describing it is economic terrorism. That was the description used by Argentina's former left-wing president, Cristina Fernández de Kirchner. In a powerful speech at the United Nations General Assembly in 2014, when she was still president of Argentina, Kirchner referred to the vulture funds on Wall Street as economic terrorists. In the speech on the world stage, she blasted the hedge funds on Wall Street as vultures, and she said, it is not only terrorists who place bombs, it is also economic terrorists who destabilize the economy of a country and provoke poverty, hunger, and misery as part of the sin of speculation. Kirchner was president from 2007 to 2015, and her husband, who died, was previously president before her, Nestor Kirchner, and the two of them, the Kirchners in Argentina, are known for their left-wing nationalist politics, and they refuse to give in to the vulture funds, and they also refuse to take debt from the International Monetary Fund, the IMF, which is notorious for its neo-colonial political orientation being dominated by the United States and forcing countries, especially in Latin America, to impose right-wing neoliberal economic policies. So she had represented this left-wing nationalist strain of Argentine politics that was standing up to the vulture funds and refusing to give them what they wanted. However, all of that changed in 2015 with the election of a right-wing president in Argentina, Mauricio Macri. And as I said, the right-wing in Latin America is extremely pro-US and he became a close ally of Washington. And especially when Donald Trump became president in the United States in 2017, he and Macri became very close allies. And in 2018, the Trump administration pressured the IMF to give Argentina the biggest IMF loan in history at $57 billion. Now, this should have been a big political scandal, but it was largely ignored because the IMF knew that Argentina could not pay off this debt. Again, it was the largest IMF loan in history. However, why did it happen? Because it was a gift. It was a politically motivated loan that the Trump administration used to try to help the right-wing millionaire oligarch Mauricio Macri win the 2019 election in Argentina. This was actually admitted by, ironically, a very conservative media outlet in Argentina, which is called Infobay. They disclosed that the U.S. director of the IMF at the time was Mauricio Claver Carone, who is a right-wing political operative from Miami. He's from the United States, but his family were wealthy oligarchs who fled Cuba and they fled to Miami after the revolution. And after he approved this loan for Argentina, the Donald Trump administration appointed him top Latin American policy advisor for the White House. So he was a close ally of Donald Trump. And he admitted that Donald Trump gave this massive loan to Argentina to try to help Macri win the 2019 election. So this is a blatant form of election meddling. It's the U.S. trying to help 
a multimillionaire oligarch in Argentina basically steal the election. However, the irony is that Macri actually lost that election in 2019. And what happened with that money? Well, 44 billion of the 57 billion ended up actually being dispersed to Argentina. And most of it just went out of the country. In fact, this should be another scandal because it blatantly violates the IMF's own charter, which says that the International Monetary Fund is not allowed to give financing to a country if it's going to be used for capital flight. And that's exactly what happened. Makri used that money to try to stabilize the currency so his rich friends could sell off all of their Argentine peso denominated assets and they could buy dollars and then stash all of that money offshore fueling capital flight. So basically it was a way to try to stabilize the currency Argentine peso and fight inflation in the lead up to the 2019 election. But in reality, it was just used to go into the pockets of a bunch of rich millionaire and billionaire oligarchs in Argentina and their friends and stash all that money in offshore bank accounts. So basically, it was $44 billion in debt that Argentina took that did not ever benefit the Argentine people in any way. So Macri lost the 2019 election and instead a centrist candidate named Alberto Fernandez won and he said that he refused to take the remaining $13 billion of the IMF loan and he demanded that the IMF renegotiate the debt because he recognized that it was impossible for Argentina to pay off this debt. So this brings us to another notorious villain in the story, which is BlackRock. BlackRock is one of the most powerful corporations on planet Earth. It is an asset manager. So what that means is that, you know, rich people, they have a lot of excess money capital and they want to invest it somewhere. And they, they give that money to BlackRock and BlackRock uses that to buy up assets and they're a vulture fund. So one of the things that they invest in is the debt of third world countries that are constantly offering high interest rates because it's you know, a very risky investment, and they constantly get trapped in this odious debt. Well, BlackRock also happens to be one of the biggest investors in Argentina's bonds, that is its government debt. I mentioned that the IMF is the largest single institutional holder of Argentine government debt, but BlackRock is another major investor. And in 2020, a few months after the new centrist president, Alberto Fernandez, entered power, he was trying to renegotiate that debt and BlackRock was refusing to play ball. The New York Times published an article about this titled, In Argentina's Debt Negotiations, a Kinder, Gentler Capitalism Faces a Test. It noted that BlackRock, the world's largest asset management company, is opposing a debt settlement deal with Argentina as the country grapples with soaring poverty and the pandemic. And this is, of course, right toward the beginning of the COVID pandemic. The article mentioned Lawrence D. Fink, Larry Fink, who is the billionaire oligarch who is the CEO of BlackRock. And the article says that he presents himself as the vanguard of a progressive form of capitalism in which profits are not everything. It's referred to as stakeholder capitalism. This is a propaganda term constantly used by the World Economic Forum, Davos. It's really just them trying to rebrand capitalism to make it sound like it's going to be helping people, but and claim that they're not only interested in profits. But obviously that's false 
That's what they're interested in is profits. And it notes that Argentina was seeking forgiveness on $66 billion worth of bonds. However, BlackRock's, that is Larry Fink's oft espoused faith in his stakeholder capitalism is colliding with traditional bottom line imperatives. Despite the fact that poverty is soaring in Argentina as the pandemic worsens, BlackRock is opposing a settlement proposed by the government and rallying other creditors to reject it. The New York Times article cited another Wall Street hedge fund called Greylock Capital Management and said that they're all working together to try to force Argentina to pay them more profits on this debt that they bought. This was at a time, by the way, that even the New York Times admits had child poverty over 50%. Over half of Argentine children were living in poverty. And it describes how there has been a massive increase in soup kitchens of Argentines who are are starving. They don't have enough food. Meanwhile, billionaires who run hedge funds on Wall Street were demanding that Argentina, the government, cut social spending even more in order to pay their ultra-rich oligarch clients even more profits. This is the reality of capitalism, not some idea of stakeholder capitalism and progressive capitalism. This is real capitalism. This is what actually existing capitalism looks like. It is forcing poor countries in the global south to go deeper into poverty and their people go hungry in order to pay billionaires even more billions of dollars on their profits based on investments in stock. They're not even doing work. They're not working in any way. This is not you know, the myth of the hardworking capitalists. No, all they did is they bought up the debt of str- distressed countries in the global south that were unable to pay their debt. And now they demand massive interest in billions of dollars of profits. According to data from Argentina's economic ministry, the total government debt in 2022 was 382 billion dollars which is 80 percent of the gdp that is 80 percent of the size of the entire economy now the vast majority of that debt is in other currencies especially the u.s dollar it's when we're talking about foreign currencies it's really the u.s dollar that we're talking about here so as of 2022 one-third of argentina's debt was in its own local currency and two thirds was in dollars. So that means that, you know, if it's its own local currency in dollars, the government could print the peso in order to pay off that debt. That would lead to inflation, but at least it could pay it off. But obviously Argentina cannot print US dollars. It has to get access to US dollars in order to pay off the two thirds of its debt that is denominated in US dollars. In 2022, external debt represented 28.5% of GDP. In 2021, external debt was 32% of GDP. So it has been slightly decreasing and it reached a peak in 2020 at 47% of GDP. And in 2020, the entire debt of the entire government was 104% of GDP. I should also point out, by the way, because there's a lot of propaganda claiming that the left always brings more debt, more government debt when the left wing is in power. But if you look at this graph from the Argentine Ministry of the Economy, you can see that the exact opposite is true. In fact, when the right wing president, Mauricio Macri, was in power from 2015 to 2019, he significantly increased 
the government debt. When he came to power in 2015, the government debt was 53% of GDP. And by 2019, it skyrocketed to 90% of GDP. And it was him, Makati, the right-wing president, who took the largest IMF loan in history, $57 billion. Meanwhile, it was the left-wing presidencies of Nestor Kirchner and then his wife, Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner, they're the ones who massively reduced the government debt, which in 2004 was 118% of GDP. And by 2011, it was 39% of GDP, the lowest level it has been in decades. That was under the left-wing governments that refused to take loans from the IMF. So just to point out that propaganda there, it was the right-wing neoliberal governments that massively increased the unpayable debt. This is a very important fact because one of the constant propaganda talking points we hear from people who defend the vulture funds on Wall Street is they say that Argentina has been living beyond its means. The government spends too much on social programs to help poor people. But in, in reality, it was the right-wing government of Makati that was cutting programs like healthcare and education to help poor and working people and increasing government spending and debt in order to benefit his rich, wealthy oligarch friends. They were the ones who increased the government debt, not the left-wing governments that were spending on social programs. So the next time you, you hear someone claim that Argentina was living beyond its means, keep in mind the reality of the situation. Now, the vast majority of Argentina's debt, that is 70%, is in the form of bonds, of government bonds. And 18% is owed to international organizations, which is largely, that means the International Monetary Fund. So excluding the IMF, which is the largest single institutional owner of Argentine debt, over two thirds of Argentine debt is in the form of bonds. And some of the biggest holders of Argentina's bonds include vulture funds on Wall Street like BlackRock. By the way, given this history of what BlackRock has been doing to Argentina, I should also point out that BlackRock is overseeing reconstruction in Ukraine. And the Western-backed puppet leader of Ukraine, Vladimir Zelensky, actually held a video meeting with the CEO of BlackRock, Larry Fink, back in December. And BlackRock is overseeing all of the reconstruction, which includes a mass privatization, selling off of $400 billion of Ukrainian state assets to Western corporations. That's double the entire size of the Ukrainian economy of its GDP. And a lot, and, the, and this is the vulture fund overseeing this. By the way, it's also one of the largest corporations on earth. It's not a coincidence those go together. In fact, I, I quoted that New York Times article from 2020, which said that BlackRock was managing $7 trillion in assets. Well, that has since increased to $9 trillion in assets. As of April, BlackRock had $9.09 .09 trillion in assets, and it's profiting as banks in the United States are collapsing, like First Republic Bank and Silicon Valley Bank. So this is, I mean, ca capitalism is cannibalizing itself. These asset managers, these hedge funds like BlackRock are cannibalizing actually existing companies and 
entire countries in order to enrich a small handful of billionaire oligarchs. And even countries that the West claims to be allies of, like Ukraine, are also being cannibalized in this process. Also, the capitalist oligarchy can make more and more profit. So this is the very sad reality of the situation in Argentina. And the reason I spent so much time talking about this and analyzing this today is because Argentina is a case study. It is not unique. This is the neo-colonial economic relationship that many countries in the global south have with the imperialist capitalist countries in the global north, especially the United States. This is odious debt. Argentina cannot pay it off. And the vulture funds that invested in Argentine debt on Wall Street, they know that. However, they use the U.S. justice system to force Argentina to pay them. So this is the irony also of capitalism. We constantly hear about free markets, but these investors on Wall Street, they knew they were investing in risky bonds. The government of Argentina has defaulted on its sovereign debt numerous times. So these investors on Wall Street knew that they were investing in something very risky. However, they actually don't want, they don't believe in the free market. They don't want the free market. They're using the U.S. government to force Argentina to pay them billions of dollars in profits off of the very low-priced bonds they bought at a fire sale the last time Argentina defaulted. This is neocolonialism and is a constant pattern we see across the global south. It is very important to understand this because this is how the world actually works. And not just for Argentina, but also countries like Ghana, countries like Zambia, countries like Sri Lanka and Pakistan. We constantly hear propaganda in the Western media blame China, but in reality, it is bondholders largely in Western vulture funds and banks that are profiting from this system. And meanwhile, it is poor and working people in countries like Argentina and Ghana and Zambia and Sri Lanka and Pakistan. They're the ones suffering. They're the ones whose wages are being destroyed by inflation. They're the ones whose pensions are being cut. Their retirements are being cut. They're the ones whose healthcare and education services are being cut. They're the ones who are bearing the burden. Well, a bunch of investors on Wall Street are making billions of dollars in profits and they don't move a single finger. They don't have to work. They're not breaking their back from working hard. In fact, it's the people breaking their back working hard in the global south whose livelihoods are being destroyed. So a bunch of speculative financial vulture capitalists on Wall Street can make tons of profits. That's the reality of the world, and it's called imperialism and neocolonialism and actually existing capitalism. So with that, I'm going to conclude here today. I'm Ben Norton of Geopolitical Economy Report. I always appreciate anyone who watches or listens to these programs, especially considering how long this was today. Please subscribe on whatever platform that you're watching or listening on. It helps to promote this material in the algorithm. Now, if you want to fact check everything that I say today and check out all of my sources, I have an article over at geopoliticaleconomy.com and I link to it in the description below. I also mentioned another really good article by a friend of mine, the Argentine writer Esteban Almiron. 
titled How Argentina Has Been Trapped in Neocolonial Debt for 200 Years in Economic History. That really goes into great detail. And I have also linked to that article in the description below so you can do more research for yourself. I want to thank everyone who joined me today. I'm Ben Norton, the editor of Geopolitical Economy Report. I appreciate any support that you all provide for our original journalism and analysis. I'll see you all next time. Thanks a lot.